People like Gostup Tapa give me hope. Gostup is finishing his doctorate at the Copernicus Institute of Sustainable Development at Utrecht University in the Netherlands. His collaborative research in Nigeria, China and Vietnam incorporates justice, equity and sustainability for a fair European Union waste trade and a just circular economy transition. I started off by asking Gostup if he could give me a bit of history in relation to the European dumping of e-waste in Nigeria and other African countries. Things travel, waste travel, just like our bananas and our avocados travel. Waste and second-hand products also travel. And this kind of traveling has not been a recent phenomenon. It has been going on, at least I know, since the 80s when waste uh, was dumped to other countries, especially the toxic waste, which was quite expensive to take care of in the countries where the toxic waste was produced, was sent somewhere else because uh, it was cheaper. Usually people found places where there was no toxic waste regulation so that they can save money. And this led to the formation of Basel Convention, which also partly guides the shipment of electronic waste because how toxic electronic waste is. And this has been going on since 80s uh, and still a big issue despite international convention, despite newer policies, despite a focus on just transition. So kind of unfortunate that the society has to tackle the same problem for over three or four decades. You put your 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 finger on the issue in that uh, rich countries uh, don't want to deal with their waste. They find it too expensive. The waste that we know, plastic waste and another waste, uh, and basically uh, they send it to poorer countries where there's less regulations. So they can essentially get get away with it uh and is is that is it as bad as it was in the 80s has it has it improved or what sort of percentages are we talking what's the likelihood of a, a a laptop in ireland or or in the netherlands or in in norway ending up in a place like pakistan or in nigeria is it is it has has anything changed since the eighties? What percentages might we be talking about of the the total quantities? Well, this is quite hard to answer because the whole process is very non transparent and uh, it, because it lacks accountability. Even though maybe we can track where our avocados or bananas come from in the value chain, it is not the same with uh, waste or secondhand products. So. I could not answer if things have changed since the 80s, but of course, if you, I'd like to think at least the transparency movement of hazardous waste, not just electronic waste, but all kinds of hazardous waste might have gone down because of the international regulation. Most of the countries in the world have signed the regulation, so it's enforced by law. Uh, it's a different matter to discuss if, uh, the law that is enforced is monitored or not. But at least my guess would be things are getting better. 
But at the same time, if you look at the global picture, inequality is has gone up, especially since the pandemic. So I, I, I cannot really give you a percentage of how much waste is being shipped elsewhere or what percentage of secondhand items is shipped from Ireland to Nigeria. I was recently at a conference and uh, somebody was telling me that from Europe, they estimate that only about 10% of uh, e-waste ends up being uh, shipped uh, to places like Africa. But some other places that I've been reading, people were estimating that about 70% of you know electronics uh, ends up in poor, rich that that starts off in rich countries ends up in you know poorer countries. But even if it's only ten percent, that's still a very substantial quantity when you consider it's estimated every year we're creating about over fifty million tons of e-waste. So it is not just about the quantity or the amount, but also the principles under which such transformatory movement of waste operates. For example, in the European Union, extended producer responsibility regulates that manufacturers of the products uh, should be responsible for managing electronic waste. But when you look at the secondhand items that are shipped somewhere else, for instance, from Netherlands, where I live, to uh, Nigeria, where my research is focused, you see that only the second-hand product, which eventually becomes electronic waste, moves, but the responsibility from the producers is shifted, but not the resource or the expertise or the technology know-how to manage electronic waste. So uh, I agree with you. Even if it's a very small quantity, it should not be the case, especially given it causes injustices. And we live in 21st century and such... uh, cases of social and ecological harm should not exist. Absolutely. And you've kind of indicated one of the ways it gets into the countries. It it a kind of it gets in as secondhand products. Uh, and maybe tell us a bit more about that because somebody was tell, telling me as well that, you know, when even if it is uh in reasonable condition in, say, Ireland or the Netherlands, the actual way they're shipped, they're just thrown into big containers that that the chances are that even if they're working, a lot of them are working, when they leave the country, they'll be broken by the time they, they get to the destination. And even if they're not broken, they probably are nearly dead in the process. So it's a kind of, in a way, it's 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 a fake secondhand to some degree. We know it's about to die. So to, to somehow skirt the regulation, we classify it as secondhand. And that's a nice way of getting it into a poorer country so that it can die there and they have to deal with it there. Yeah, exactly. This, is, this has sadly become the process of exporting waste management responsibility somewhere else. Like you said, secondhand items, maybe a phone will last about a year or two, but eventually it becomes electronic waste. So somebody has to take care of the waste and the producers are no longer responsible if you ship it outside of the European Union. Uh, 
for instance, when you look in Nigeria, we don't know the numbers because the whole value chain is very uh, non-transparent. We asked uh, experts, about 24 different experts who are working in the case of Nigeria to estimate uh, what percentage of the secondhand products uh, come as electronic waste. And uh, they estimated, this is not real figure, but best estimation from the experts. They said about 41% of mobile phone and tablets that come to Nigeria are in fact uh, electronic waste. They don't function. And for, for, for the rest that functions, only about 17 months is the durability. So after 17 months in average, they become electronic waste. And we also looked at how this uh, in the in the port how how they check for functionality of electronics. And we went to Dutch Harbor and we saw a volunteer who was just testing random devices by plugging it in the electric socket. And if he sees a green light, it works. But that that is not the case. Even if I can turn my computer on, but if the motherboard doesn't work, if my hard drive doesn't work, of, of course, this is a waste. This is not a functional item. And also, you can just have some volunteers check one or two items out of ton, out of a big container. This is not how you really ethically verify if a secondhand product is functional or not. So this kind of consideration is not there. It should be the case, but somehow it just is not prioritized in the uh, waste governance or the secondhand item governance in Europe. Yeah, so in essence, we could almost say that secondhand is a synonym for dumping in in a lot of scenarios that certainly there's very little care uh, taken uh, to ensure that these are genuine quality secondhand products that will that will have you know a a reasonably decent lifespan yeah one can make that assumption at least based on our findings uh, we actually conclude that even the reuse is an, a very important part of circular economy to extend the life of a product for as long as possible if you look at the electronic and electric items shipped from Europe to Nigeria, then reuse is actually not sustainable and it's a, it's causing social and ecological harm. So you're right, it has sadly been a way to dump uh, electronics somewhere far away. But at the same time, it could be better because uh, when we went to Nigeria, we saw a lot of secondhand Things being used from airplanes to cars to all electronic and electric equipments, uh, about 50% of new phone, all phones used in Nigeria are secondhand. So this is really also an opportunity to ship functional and durable secondhand items that can create benefits somewhere else. Uh, the bigger context of this is very unequal world where average European consumer can buy anything they want, most of them, uh, if they need it, but it might not be the case in Nigeria because of many reasons. And I think uh, second-hand items are valuable in terms of creating equity in the uh, access, of te- access to technology, access to uh, uh, 
apps or smartphones or computer literacy, but at the same time, there's a lot of problems associated with this. I mean, as you say, uh, with the circular economy, etc., um, secondhand, reusable, is a, is a great thing when you consider uh, that how many million phones in Europe are sitting in a desk, you know, that are perfectly working, uh, in that that somebody else could be using. So if the products were, you know, real genuine quality and they were shipped in a way that they don't break, during, even if they are working, that they're shipped properly, they're inspected properly, they're like there's a market now uh, in Europe and other countries for refurbished products. And those refurbished products, uh, te- uh, tech products, get thorough testing, you know, before they are put on sale as a refurbished actual product. So if if we, as you point out, if this was done properly, uh, it, the, we could genuinely improve the whole circularity of ele- of electronics, but it needs to be done properly. Yes, exactly. That is one of the findings from our research. We kind of co-design a policy intervention with the experts in Nigeria thinking, okay, this has been a problem with secondhand devices, but also inflow of electronic waste illegally through the loop of secondhand devices. So what can be done to boost circularity, to also uh, make sure that injustices and exploitation doesn't happen? And the idea, the solution at least, was quite simple. What we propose is instead of uh, producers being responsible for management of electronic waste in their own countries or in a specific region, they should be responsible globally. For instance, if if an Apple product or Philips from Netherlands goes to Nigeria, then no matter how many cycles of use and reuse has, has the product gone through, Philips or Apple or whoever manufactured the product should be responsible for a sound management of uh, the waste of their product internationally. Uh, So instead of just focusing within Europe, we want to extend it globally. And I think it's only fair if you consider the justice and equity aspect of the circular economy, which uh, sadly has been quite left out from the discourse of circular economy, social dimension, uh, international dimension, justice, equity, and for us, we think these are very important topics to be included if we are talking about transition that uh, at a global uh, European level, we need to think how the transition impacts people, not just within Europe, but globally, and also to ha- to make it fair and ethical and not just uh, exploitative like things has been since the 80s. Well, I mean, what I've found from my researcher experience that those who will exploit other people will also exploit the environment. I mean, there, it's there, wherever there is exploitation, the impacts are many, you know, faceted in, in the process. So, uh, ethics and, and, and the environment, everything is interlinked because those without ethics or lacking in ethics are not going to care for the environment and we're not going to get to a a genuine 
you know, sustainable world if we don't have an ethical world, because part of why we have a linear economy is because we feel we can exploit weaker, weaker people and weaker animals, etc. There, there's a sense that the strong can exploit the weak without any uh, consequences. Uh, but we see that there are consequences for everybody now uh, in in the climate crisis. Weak or strong. Exactly. And since there's so much talk about transition and uh, doing things better and imagining a new world, I think we really need to incorporate these principles of fairness, equity, justice, ethical principles, accountability, while making uh, these uh, regulations. Because if you look at the waste regulations, uh, waste shipment regulations in the EU or elsewhere, such ideas are not the ethical consideration or to focus on how can relationship between the actors in the waste value chain actually can be a symbiotic relationship or how people can enhance well-being of each other while taking care of the waste. That is a much better world and more sustainable world than right now where you just focus on how can we just manage the waste at the cheapest cost to maximize profit and send it somewhere far away and not think about it. So this is really an opportunity to do things right. And it starts, at least from our research, in waste governance to making intervention in policies and uh, designing policies with consideration for other humans all around the world, like you said, also the environment, to look at the interconnectedness between people and planet as well. Absolutely. So your research and ideas, you know, is this ultimate producer responsibility that that um, wherever that product ends up, it is the produce is it is the brand's responsibility to uh, make sure that it is properly um, either recycled or 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 got rid of or you know that its end of life uh, does not damage either other people or, or other uh, uh, or the environment, the water, the air in in the process. So whether it's a Philips or uh, an Apple. Uh, that phone or, or or device is is their responsibility, uh, no matter where physically that ends up. Exactly, there's the basic idea of polluters pay principle. Uh, it has been operationalized in the EU, but it's limited within the confines of the EU. That's why maybe it creates a loophole where you ship your secondhand products as soon to be e-waste things elsewhere so that the producers can get rid of the responsibility. But if you make it universal and if you make it ultimate in the sense that it applies to the e-waste phase of a product, no matter where it is, uh, to the ult- for the ultimate responsibility of uh, sound management, such uh, a lot of problems we believe, and uh, 24 other people who co-designed this policy intervention believe could at least is a way forward uh, 
Yeah, I think it's a brilliant idea. I think it's quite simple, brilliant. I mean, I think it'll be very difficult because the brands will obviously do everything they can to avoid taking responsibility. But I think it's it sounds like like a fantastic idea. Uh, so you know, it's it's got a powerful simplicity, and as you say, it's it's leading on from the polluter pays principle so it's not a radically new concept it's just making it giving it a, a universality or a global um reach yes definitely and a lot of the sustainability solutions it does not have to be necessarily complex it's quite simple straightforward solution what is difficult is to operationalize it we already had some feedback on the upr principle that we proposed from some of the market players saying, oh, this is this is never going to work. Uh, you cannot include informal sector in the EPS, EPS structure. So the, the, the people who have been doing this for so many years, for 20, 25 years, are not comfortable with expanding it or bringing more actors to their, to their structure. We also propose that EPR should also include people who reuse, uh, uh, people who work to repair, uh, to, to, to refurbish the products, not just recyclers and producers and the middleman. We wanted to make it more inclusive so that it also includes um, non-profits and civil society organizations. And this people think this is a wrong way to approach the challenge because now we are creating space where it, the value system is not just money or profit maximization or efficiency, but also solidarity and inclusion and equality. And these kind of things, sadly, are not so you know, comfortable for, uh, for still a lot of people. And uh, it's, uh, it's a testament how much we need to change the whole uh, political and economic system to include values like solidarity and ethics in our day-to-day life and not just profit and money and, uh, you know, just just this materialistic values. Tell me a, li- a, a bit of a story or paint us a picture, so to speak, of what happens to a smartphone or a a laptop or or otherwise when it arrives uh in Nigeria take me on its the rest of its life so to speak let's say it gets you know maybe used or repaired a bit but and then ultimately it's going to end up somewhere being stripped apart or somewhere can you take us on a little bit of a journey from when it arrives at that port in Nigeria, and let's assume that it is. You know, maybe you can tell a couple of stories. One for something that is quite broken, what happens to it then, or maybe another story about something that is it is working, but it's only going to last, you know, another year and a half. Just paint us a little bit of a picture of of what who's involved, you know, the perhaps the dangers of the the. the of how they have to work and how they have to dismantle and et cetera, and what they're exposed to. 
bit of that picture from the port onwards where, where these electronic uh, devices arrive. So from our finding, we saw that about one third does not work. So they're, they're basically e-waste, which is not legal to ship from OECD countries, high rich countries to non-OECD countries. And the narrative of e-waste is also different depending on whom you talk to. If you talk to the government in Nigeria, they say, oh, the last time we had e-waste was in 2015 and it was taken care of. We sent it back and we don't really have a problem of e-waste coming in. But if you if you talk to people from the informal sector, but also from the formal sector, they acknowledge that there's a, there's a volume of second-hand products coming to Nigeria and part of the second-hand products is also electronic waste. This, this voice is also from the researchers in Nigeria, from, from the non-profit sector. So, so all the people, different stakeholders who uh, work with e-waste say that e-waste is a problem despite the government saying, oh, it's not a problem anymore. So for the e-waste, what happens is if the government sees it's electronic waste, they send it back to the origin country, which happens quite rarely. But then somehow if they don't notice it's electronic waste, then it goes to the informal sector uh, who maybe break down the phone or laptop into small parts and salvage whatever the parts are working and maybe use that part to repair something else. They can they maybe try to recycle, extract some, uh, copper wires, or some valuable material in the informal sector. It's, it's not very organized in the sense that there's no one factory where people go and work. It's, it's organically organized within the informal sector, but uh, we saw people without any protective equipments, uh, directly working with toxic electronics. We didn't really see people burning wires, but people told us that people just go to at the side of the landfill and burn wires. So they are inhaling quite toxic fumes to extract copper. And a lot of this electronic waste is ultimately being dumped in the landfill. Uh, and if you look at secondhand products, of course, the value is quite added there in the sense that people reuse it or the business people, they, they have shops, many shops where uh, people who want to buy a second item can go and buy second item for uh, a reasonable price. Second items are also refurbished and so that the product lasts for as long as possible. But, but again, all these things eventually become e-waste. I saw a WHO, uh, World Health Organization uh, report, I think it was estimating that something like 18 million women and 13 million children were involved in the e-waste in industry uh, on a global basis. Would that be of your experience? Who Who is it that is scavenging and what? who is it that's pulling these things apart and you know dipping dipping uh these uh chip 
uh, boards into acid to, to strip this and get get out various materials. I mean, who who is it that's doing this sort of work? Yeah, these are definitely the most marginalized people whose daily livelihood depends on this kind of work. Uh, just because they do not have an option to have other kinds of job, they engage in such work. And this this is actually uh, a case of exploitation because they need to have some work to make a living. Uh, and in that sense, they are kind of forced to do this kind of work. And what we propose in the ultimate producer responsibility is to train these uh, informal sector workers to ensure that at least the basic health and safety is uh, there, that they are aware of what they are doing, or maybe limit their work for uh, to just collection of electronic waste, uh, other ways, so that they don't have to really deal with uh, toxic elements, so that they can have a decent livelihood without exposing themselves to harm day in and day out. I didn't see a lot of children or women in Nigeria in electronic waste, uh, but but also I, I didn't get a chance to observe people burning wires. Uh, I only went to the informal sector where they resell products. But uh, when I visited recycling plants, uh, plastic recycling plants in Nigeria, I did see uh, school age children just in the in the inside the heap of waste without any equipment working next to the mother because the more plastic you collect uh, to recycle, the more money you get because it's it's by weight. So even the children they skip school and they come help their mother out so that they can have some more money uh, for the for the day uh, it's it's not a very yeah it, it's a very it hits you when you are there it's a different thing when you read a re report saying la 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 but when you are there and you see this it it really hits you yeah absolutely and and a point you made there that i kind of i hadn't thought about but in a way is that you know this the job of an e-waste worker is probably the last job that you would want to take. It's it's a kind of it's it's at it's at the end of the line of of the jobs that you would choose if you could choose a job in 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 a town or an area in in Nigeria or any other uh, country because it is a it's it's an extremely dangerous uh, job that that pays very little money. Exploitation happens when there's inequality in the trade or in the in the transaction, right? Uh, so rich country versus poor country, uh, knowledgeable versus not so knowledgeable in the sense that e-waste processing factories in Europe, they have all the knowledge to do the right thing, how to make it circular, sustainable, how to take deal with the toxic waste. But... The informal sector in in uh, Nigeria, they don't know this and they don't have access to this knowledge. A lot of this is technology limited and the technology is not even open source. So even if the waste is going to Nigeria, they will never have access to technology because it's very expensive and it's not open source. The um, UN estimate 
uh, that something like uh, less than 20% of e-waste is properly recycled. And then I saw another study that said that even that which is recycled, we only get back about 30% of the materials that are reusable from the actual recycling process. I suppose part of that, if, you know, we accept that that's true for the moment and maybe you've you, you've different information, but I think it's part of it is a design decision or a design process that we, if we are going to achieve genuine circularity, we must begin to change the way we design products so that we design them so that they can be taken apart. They can be disassembled. They can, the, the metals and the materials can be much more easily separated uh, because right now we see, it seems like the big brands, whether they're Philips or Samsung or Apple, are designing products that actually cannot be recycled properly or that require such expensive equipment to separate the materials that the vast majority of you know, poor countries could never afford that equipment or training to, to and, and end up smashing them with hammers or burning them with buns and burners because, you know, the, the, the products are not designed in a way that there's a material simplicity within them that allows them to be recycled. And we need to do that, I think. Or, or what do you think? Of, of course, and uh, recycling is even... The further step, the first step should be products should be designed for reuse, for repair, for easy repair. When we talk to people in the informal sector doing repairs, they were they preferred the older generation computers uh, where people could re replace their hard drives. I remember growing up just replacing my hard drive uh, from uh, uh, old low-capacity desk to high-capacity solid-state desk. I used to do it myself, no problem, half an hour, and some minor basic tools. But now things are designed so that it's single-use. When it doesn't work, it has to be taken to, to the factory. For instance, Apple product in Nigeria, chances are it's very hard to repair them. And I think uh, to make it more circular and sustainable, such products should be designed in a more simplistic way, but also the knowledge how to design should be open source. Uh, anybody should be able to repair the phone if they wanted to, or upgrade a phone if they wanted to. And then the recycling, of course, it's, it's very, uh, the whole recycling sector is uh, quite uh, mysterious in the sense that Nobody knows what percent is recycled. The non nonprofits, the activist organization, they have they say very low percent is recycled. The industries say, oh no, we, it's a success story. We recycle so much, but the conversation is very vague. There's no specificity, so it's very hard to understand what happens when the products are recycled, unless you really go to a factory and really focus on the context and not generalize it, it it's very difficult to know what happens. And uh, it's, a, it's the same, not just with uh, electronic waste, but all with plastics, with rubber tires, with, with yeah, it's, it's the whole value chain is 
not transparent, not accountable, because it lacks the principles of justice and ethics and accountability and uh, symbiosis of uh, actors to create a well-being environment and more transparent things. So, so it's a, it's a, the whole value chain is a mess, and uh, it is it is it is a mess, and it it should not be the case. It can be made better, but. Uh, nobody cares. And I suppose part of that, as you say, the, the value change, the, the essence of this value chain, is that there's no value in waste or there's very little value in the, the product. I mean, it starts off as a an 800 euro phone, you know, and makes lots of money for Apple. But then it ends up being hardly worth doing anything with that you have to send it, you know, to a poor country with people working for next to nothing to actually get some value back out of that that product that has that has died that we need to begin to return value to the end of life process uh, and that will take a, a rethinking of materials uh, and and how those materials are actually put together so that they can be taken apart but but right now it is a i think it's a mess because there's no money in the end of life or there's very little money to be made in the end of life yeah it is sadly the case uh, we do not factor in the social and ecological harm that goes in in the designing phase of a product resources extraction and uh, making the crude material into a usable resource and also the waste phase. What is only accounted for is money. And if you look at just from a monetary point of view, then of course using this uh, extracting resources from Earth is a lot cheaper uh, than trying to solve this problem of e-waste and uh, making sure that you extract all values from electronic waste in a circular and sustainable manner. Uh, but we don't value ecosystem. We don't value justice, uh, human health, uh, solidarity, uh, good relationships between country, uh, uh, so socio-political system where there's no exploitation. If we, if we were to value those kind of things, non-material, non-tangible values, then of course, uh, tomorrow, all companies would really push uh, more circular option and more sustainable option. But sadly, it's, it's every value system is boiled down to money and uh, profit maximization really hinders equity and justice and solidarity and just seeing other people as humans. We need to value uh, ma materials as well that, that uh, in 1970, we were digging out of the planet, 25 billion tons of materials. Uh, by 2020, it was 100 billion tons. And to get to our green tech, clean world, they estimate we'll be needing to dig out 170 billion tons of material by 2050. And the mass of Mount Everest is 150 billion tons of material. So to, to build our wonderful tech future, green and sustainable, or, or, or so they call it, we need to be extracting 
a Mount Everest every year. And we and that's because we don't value the materials. It all results. We, we design products for waste. And we must, I think this, your concept of ultimate producer responsibility, but I think it's, it's not just a responsibility. Well, what does that mean? What is the responsibility? And I think part of the responsibility should be that all the materials they're responsible for. In, in if they've got 60 materials in that phone, they need to be able to get back those 60 materials. And I think that would transform thinking by brands and manufacturers if they were actually responsible for maintaining the life of the material and giving it an X life. Exactly. that That's very true. Uh, so my PhD started as circular economy more focused on material reuse recycle refurbish to extend the value of materials for as long as possible and in the four years of my research then it became yes this is a great idea but as long as put value to human and environment you can't just do this with materials so you you have to like focus like we talked before, in the interrelationship, interdependency of humans, environment, and the environment nature that gives us material in order to uh, really be sustainable. Uh, so I, I think to value material, you need to value human and environment. And to value human and environment, you need to value material. It, it all goes together. And part of our research, uh, looking at the plastic waste, we propose an ecocentric approach to uh, designing policy where you harmonize relationship between individuals, society, and nature, including the material. Uh, really, you, you, you make sure that the interaction between these three does not create mutual harm uh, as much as possible. So, so this changes change in mind shift where you value everything and uh, you see the interconnectedness of things uh, it's 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 very hard to do so to look at this broader interconnection if you just focus on one aspect one material uh, money or green growth uh, but, but yeah we need to change uh, our paradigms what we value as what well if we want you know, and this discussion is far bigger than second-hand items and electronic waste. But um, yeah, you need to have different value systems if you want to fix problems. Yeah, and I think you've you've summarized it very well. The the interconnectedness of you know of everything, and even though that that's obviously complex. Uh, to, to deal with, we must deal with the interrelationships, the the materials, the people, the environment. Uh, all of them must work in a certain type of harmony, and that to value, as you say, to value the materials, we must value the environment. We must value the people and the animals that exist within that environment. And people or capitalists or whatever, you know, would say, "Oh, that's." ridiculous thinking you're not being serious or you're not you're not you're not being realistic in the world yet i think in in many ways 
that is the much wiser approach to having a planet that we can actually live on in in 50 years or 100 years because certainly the model that's been used today that has brought us to the climate crisis is unlikely the model that is going to get us out of the climate crisis. From four years of research and the main takeaway for me at this personal reflection is everything is centered around creating a value that is mostly measured by economic growth or profit. But in order to be sustainable, there are other values that somehow we don't include. And part of the research design for the whole project was to value collaboration, value diversity of ideas and epistemologies so that we can find multiple solutions to a problem. And then, like, it's, it's something that I try to do it in my day-to-day life and in work and in non-work related things to to create this plurality of values so that I'm not only making decisions based on one specific value that may or may not be sustainable. So so to to, to look at bigger picture and not just uh, one thing, but uh, like we said, the interconnectedness of uh, everything, it's, it's quite necessary. If you're interested in these sorts of ideas, please check out my book, Worldwide Waste, at jerrymcgovern.com. To hear other interesting podcasts, please visit thisishcd.com.